0: Thank you. Let's take God's Word together this evening and turn to the New Testament book of Luke, Luke 15, if you would. And I want to spend a couple of weeks on a Sunday evening looking at my favorite parable in all of Scripture, the prodigal son. And uh, you might think, ah, we've heard this before, but there's a lot here that I hope to spend a, a couple of weeks on. So turn with me, please, to Luke chapter 15, if you would. And we'll look together at just really the first couple of verses of Luke 15. We'll begin in verse number 11 and read down to verse number 14. But I think just about all of us are are well acquainted with the title of the prodigal son. We know the story. It's about a young man who ran away from home. And we oftentimes think about those who have been away for a long time. Maybe they've been wayward and then they've come home and we say, Here comes the prodigal. We sometimes speak like that. You can go just about anywhere in the world and people are acquainted with uh, this story. But let's look at it together. Just the first few verses, Uh, Luke 15, beginning in verse number 11. And he said, Jesus said, a certain man had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country. And there wasted his his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land. And he began to be in want. Let's pray together. And ask the Lord to help us as we look at these verses tonight. Father, we confess unto thee that we need thy help. No matter how many times we've read thy word, we need thee, Lord, to shed light upon it. We know, Lord, that these are not our words, but thine. No man has written these words, but these have been breathed from thy very mouth, these words of life. And we pray that tonight they would be instrumental in giving life to some other soul this very evening. Use it, we pray, for thy glory. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to notice with me, please, in our text, the behavior of this young man. You know the story. But let's look together at this young man's behavior before he ever began to live such a wretched life. Notice his behavior long before he ever wasted his substance, long before he ever left home. You've heard me speak about this parable on a number of occasions, but the scriptures tell us very plainly in verse number 12 that this younger of two brothers approached his father and look at the words that come out of his mouth. Father, give me. Give me. Somebody very wisely said that the people that you do the most for are usually the most ungrateful. That's the truth, isn't it? The people that you do the most for are usually the most ungrateful. Some other friend once said, give a man a hundred pounds and he will very soon become your enemy. It's interesting how that works, isn't it? You can help and give and pour yourself into somebody and oftentimes there's a reason why we have to tell people don't bite the hand that feeds you because there's a propensity amongst man after being blessed, and after receiving, there's a propensity to turn on them. What a true saying. As soon as you show a man some kindness, he or she often walks on the other side of the street, anything to get out of your way. And in this, we see the very nature of humanity. The very nature of humanity is that we gladly take from God but want nothing to do with God. That is human nature. And this is what we find embodied in this parable today. The true nature of man is a give-me nature, a give-me mindset. It's a sense of entitlement, isn't it? I don't know a single human being that hasn't had this sense of entitlement in some point of their life. Give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. Think about that for just a moment. This young man felt that he had a certain right to an inheritance. He was, after all, his father's son, was he not? And instinctively, he felt then that his father was really under certain obligations to him. He had no choice in the matter of his birth. He didn't choose to be born into this world. He didn't choose to walk in. But since he was indeed born to his father, then there ought to be something here for him. That was his thinking. And so it is with humanity. And in a sense, the boy was right. In a sense, the young man was right. There was indeed an inheritance for him, it was actually his inheritance. And his own father recognized that right, and his own father recognized that sense of entitlement, or else he would have never given it to him. So there is some truth in this. Now, there is a measure of of recognizing what is inherited simply by being born, and the same thing is true today. If my wife and I have children, if we're able by... God's grace to have children as we do and uh, since the Lord has granted us a seventh one on the way most of you know by now then we therefore have a duty to them did you know that we have a responsibility to them somebody once said if you can't take care of children then don't have children right it's as simple as that but if we have children then they have a right to expect certain things from us. Now, don't get too excited, boys. But it is true that children have a right to expect certain things from their parents. They have a right to expect that their parents will feed them. They have a right to expect that their parents will give them somewhere to sleep, that their parents will give them some instructions in life, how to live and what to do and what not to do and and how to earn a living, and how to manage their money, and how to throw a football, or, whatever, or kick a football, whatever it may be. The children have a right to, to expect certain things. They have a right to expect a measure of love and care. And so it is true, even so with God. We, as his creation, have certain inheritances of creation. We have certain things that come with simply being a part of his creation. That's why we read in Scripture that every good gift and every perfect gift cometh from above, that it rains on the good, on the just, and the unjust. There are certain benevolences, certain uh, demonstrations of God's goodness that are given unto us simply because we're a part of his creation. There's one document, you may be familiar with it, that says that Uh, There are certain human rights, God-given human rights, such as life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that every human being has this right or inheritance to life, that nobody else has a right to take that life from them. Unfortunately, in today's modern society, we've begun to blur that one when it comes to infants, haven't we? No longer do infants have the right of life anymore. I saw something recently that said, if you if you find some sort of a cell squiggling about on the planet of Mars, everybody jumps up and down and says, look, there's life on Mars. But yet a baby inside of a mother's womb is no longer considered life until it's born. Interesting, isn't it? Absurd, actually. Absurd. But there are certain things. We have a, a right to life. We have a right to liberty in life. Some people don't like that, but that is a reality, of biblical truth, that God has given man a measure of liberty in life. We have a freedom in life, but no one ought to take away from us. Jonathan Edwards wrote a, wrote a book entitled The Freedom of the Human Will. It's worth reading, and I confess I haven't read it all yet, but I've begun to uh, uh, plow my way through it. But he recognizes, Jonathan Edwards rightly so, recognizes throughout the pages of Scripture that God indeed has given unto man a freedom unlike he's given any other part of creation. He's given unto man a certain measure of liberty that no other part of creation has. We have the right to develop our own personality. We've been given the right to think for ourselves. Unfortunately, very few people actually do today, but we have been given the right to think for ourselves. We have the right to our own moral judgment. That's why we have so many different varying ideas as to what is right and wrong. And we have a right to our, to our own independent action, don't we? We have a right to do what we want to do, and we seem to know it. We have been created by God as distinct individuals. But I remind you, with that comes responsibility. And that's one thing this young man failed to recognize. Instinctively, we all know that we ought to be able to do our own thinking and do our own choosing. Uh, I was speaking with a mother here recently who was explaining uh, some of the new choosing patterns of her daughter uh, entering into her teenage years and how she wants to wear some strange clothes and nothing necessarily immoral, but just strange. And uh, she's trying to help guide and steer her daughter, but at the same time uh, trying to say, well, hold on a moment. You look a bit strange with that kind of clothing. So, But we recognize in, in humanity we have this right to choose, right to think. We have it. God has given to us, all of us, the awful power of choice. And with it comes a sense of responsibility. And herein lies the problem with humanity. And herein lies the problem with our young friend in the parable. He most gladly wanted that right to say, give me. He most gladly said, I'll take what is rightfully mine. I want my inheritance. But he at the same time did not want the accountability to the Father. Can I just say, that's just like all of us. We will gladly take gifts from God. We will gladly take the gift of life itself. And we'll get our back up if anybody threatens it. We gladly want our freedoms and our choices. We want to... Choose where we live, and we want to choose what kind of house we live in. And we even grumble sometimes about the restraints that are put on us as to how we can build or what we can build. We grumble because we seem to feel like we should have the right to live where we want to live and do what we want to do with our property. But we'll gladly take all of those things God given rights of liberty and freedom, life, the pursuit of happiness, to chase after whatever makes us happy. We'll gladly take that. But we are just like this young man who will take it and turn our back on God and run. We'll gladly take all the rights and liberties and freedoms from God and run. We totally ignore the obligation and responsibility that we have to the Father, just like this young man here. We all know that with certain rights, with certain inheritance comes obligations. We understand that. Certain responsibility, I want to choose. Okay, that's fine, but there are consequences for your choice. Well, I want to do what I want to do. Okay, that's fine. You can do what you want to do, but you must be ready to take responsibility for your actions. Unfortunately, we're living in a generation when parents are no longer teaching their children that there are consequences for their behavior. Society is no longer teaching children that there's a responsibility for their actions and they need to be prepared to face up to it. The give me mentality, the entitled mentality, almost always leads to verse number 13, where the younger son gathered everything that he had and took his journey into a far country. When you begin to live with that mentality, I deserve this, give me, give me, give me, very, very soon, you will take everything that you have been given, turn your back on the father, and get as far away from him as you possibly can. That's what we find here. He gathered all together and took his journey into a far country. He was all too willing to acknowledge his inheritance in his father, but totally failed to recognize that his father had any right in him. Oh, I'll I'll gladly have. Father, this is mine. It's my inheritance. It's my right. It's my entitlement. He would gladly recognize that and take it but he refused to recognize he had any responsibility towards God. Can I tell you that is precisely what human nature does. We'll take, take, take from God and refuse to acknowledge that we owe God anything. He took his journey. That is the epitome of human nature. We take our journey anywhere away from God. It is a failure And a refusal to recognize God at all. I wonder, would you look this way? When's the last time you decidedly recognize God in your life? So I'm here tonight, aren't I? Okay, but what about Monday to Saturday? Do you intentionally recognize God each day? Each hour? He most gladly recognized others. No doubt about it. He spent his spent his substance with riotous living. That means in a crowd. He recognized other people. He shared with other people. His own brother later on said he was with harlots, so he was recognizing other people, but he refused to recognize the one person that he should have recognized, and that is human race. That is humanity. We recognize everybody all around us, but we refuse to recognize God, the one who gave us life the one who gave us liberty, the one who gave us freedom. He left the Father far behind. I think it's interesting how we how we often excuse our sin. We compare ourselves, humanly speaking, and we say, well, I've never really hurt anybody. I often speak with people and, and try to speak with them of their need of salvation, and they sometimes speak like this. Well, I've never done anybody any wrong. You ever had that conversation before? I haven't haven't hurt anybody. I've never really done anybody any wrong. I don't steal it from people. I'm, I'm not hurting anybody at all. The question isn't, are you hurting anybody? The question is, have you sinned against God? That's what needs to be asked. What about God? It was God who crowned us as humanity. It was God who made us kings over the rest of creation. It was God who put a scepter in our hand and gave us dominion over the rest of creation. It was God who made us our own masters. It was God who gave us the use of our own will in order that we might serve Him. It was God who gave us dominion over the works of His hands, but also made us subject to Him who is King of kings and Lord of lords. And instead, instead of recognizing Him, being in subjection to him, we take all of the blessed benefits of simply being a part of his creation and being a part of the crowning of his creation. We take all of those benefits and reject any sort of due responsibility we have towards God. And that, my friend, is the greatest crime of all. That you would take, take, take from God. Take breath from God. Take life from God. Take health and strength from God. Take food from God. Take happiness and all the other emotions that you enjoy from God. Take those things from God, but render nothing back to Him. That, my friend, is the greatest sin and crime of all. We've forgotten God. We have chosen to ignore Him and leave Him behind. That's what this young man did when he moved to the far country. Why did he go to the far country? Just wanted to get away from the Father. Maybe there are some of you tonight trying to get away from the Father. Do you remember what the greatest commandment, the first and greatest commandment of all is? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your mind, your soul, and strength. That's the greatest. The second is like unto it, You can't do the second unless you've done the first. You can't love your neighbor as yourself unless you've loved the Lord your God. And that is where all of humanity is born failing. We haven't loved him. We haven't used our powers in his divine service. We haven't humbled ourselves to him. We haven't rendered unto him what is rightfully his. We just carry on like there is no father. The reality is this, as much as we carry on like there is no father, it doesn't change the fact that God expects something from each one of us. Do you know that? You can live your life like there's no God. You can gladly take from God and try to live your life like there isn't any God and there isn't any judgment and there isn't any expectation, but that does not rule out the fact, the truth that one day you shall stand before him. One day we shall all give an account. We shall stand before the King of kings and Lord of lords. And you can live your life as if there's no father, but on that day there'll be no place to hide. We shall all stand before him. And he will claim that which is rightfully his, just as you have. He will demand that you pay him what you owe him, just as you have. You remember the parable that Jesus said about the ten servants that were each given a pound, you remember? And he went off, and the Lord went off to get for himself a kingdom, and when he came back, the Bible said he called them to to a day of reckoning to see what they had done with their pound. One had taken it and invested it and gotten ten back. One had taken and invested and gotten five back. And one had taken it and hidden it in a napkin. And when his Lord came, he said, There, there's your pound. Gladly took it, pound representing a life, but squandered it, hid it, did not use it for which it was intended to be used, did not occupy until the Lord returned. Instead, it was wasted. And I believe there are many, many, many people today Wasting their lives one day at a time. There is not a single man in human history that has ever been able to, nor will ever be able to ignore God with impunity. You will never be able to thumb your nose up at God. You'll never be able to turn your back on God and expect to get away from it. You cannot hide. It cannot be done. We shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. You might be thinking tonight, well, that's okay, because I don't remember any time when I've been unkind to God, or any time when I've forgotten God. It's interesting to me that God, God has a perfect memory. And whether you remember it or not, Psalm chapter 9, verse 17, an interesting psalm, interesting verse says this. Listen to this carefully. Psalm 9, verse 17 the wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. You forget God? You turned your back on Him? Have you gladly taken the gifts and things of God and, and run to the far country? My friend, all those that forget God shall be turned into hell. Psalm 103 Verse number one, we often read it as a call to worship. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Everything that is in me ought to bless him and praise him and thank him. Oh, that I would never forget his benefits. I was reading here recently something that really struck me. It was talking about that last supper when the Lord Jesus with his disciples broke bread and the Lord said, one of you will betray me. You remember the account? And one by one, they began to say, is it I? Is it I? Is it I? But John said something different than all of them. John, the disciple who was leaning his head on Jesus's breast, was able to say something that nobody else was able to say. Everyone else was saying, is it I? And John said, who is it? Because he knew that as long as he was lying his head on the breast of Jesus, it couldn't be him. And as long as you rest your head upon the heartbeat of the Savior and acknowledge God in everything you do, in all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths, then you will not be able to forget him. The problem was the son didn't want to rest his head on the heartbeat of the father. The son wanted to get away from the father because he knew that he could not behave the way that he was behaving in the presence of the father. He could not behave the way that he wanted to behave while he still lived in the father's house. And I believe that the majority of humanity understands that they cannot live the way that they live and believe in God at the same time. That's why the majority of humanity does its very best to get away from even the thought of the existence of God doing their very best. The world is doing its best to remove themselves, to escape God. Just like this young man. And not, not, and not many days after, the Bible says he gathered all together. Think about this for a second. I was thinking this afternoon, he gathered all together, meaning he did not leave one single thing of his own possessions in the father's house. So that when he walked across the threshold of his father's house, there was no longer anything back in that house that he could lay claim to. He removed all excuse and opportunity to go back. He left it all. He brought all of his stuff with him. He had no excuse or reason to ever return. And can I tell you that when you turn your back on God, we leave ourselves no right the blessings of the Father's house. And every single human being has turned their back on God. And if we ever get back to the Father's house, if we ever find ourselves back in the Father's house, it's not because we had anything in there that's rightfully ours. It's because of God's grace. When you turn your back on God, taking all the blessings that God offers to his creation and you try to distance yourself from him as far as you can. This is the history of humanity. This is what the old saints referred to as that depravity of heart and mind that you would gladly take from God and want to be so far away from him. Darkness, depravity, and there's no hope of ever getting back into the Father's house except by grace. Now, into the far country. It always amazes me that humanity is doing its very best to rid itself of the fault of God. It was Voltaire that said, By the time I'm dead, he said, by the within 50 years of my death, Voltaire, the, the great humanist, the infant, it wasn't great, but the infamous humanist and infidel said within 50 years of my death he said you won't be able to find a bible anywhere in the land except in a museum he was trying to rid the world of god the ironic thing is that his house was turned into a bible society they're printing for the bible quite amazing isn't it god has a sense of humor but man is constantly trying to remove god from its from his thoughts Romans chapter 1 explains this, that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. It says later on in chapter 1, verse 28 of Romans, that even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, they did not want to acknowledge God, they did not want to recognize that God was who he is. Therefore, we run to the far country, away from the Father. What did Adam and Eve do as soon as they sinned? They hid themselves. They tried to put something between them and God. They tried to remove themselves from the sight of God. Can't be done. And although you are in the far country, God is never far from you. Although you may be far from God, he is never far from you. You ever wondered how the theory of evolution took up such steam and ground? It wasn't based on science. hate to break it to you wasn't based on scientific discovery. Even still today, it is still a theory. Why did it take take off with such steam and, and such progress? Because anything to explain away God. Anything. So I don't have to believe in God. Give me anything so that I can take all the benefits of God, but yet refuse to acknowledge his existence. Therefore, we have... Such theories, pushing God away. It's interesting as we continue in our text, just one last little thought here. The scriptures say in Luke chapter 15 that when he had, not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living. Every once in a while somebody finds themselves to have wasted their substance with riotous living and and then they start blaming God. You ever seen that before? Why did God let this happen to me? Well, hold on just a moment. A moment ago, you didn't want to acknowledge the existence of God. You wanted to get as far away from God as possible. You turned your back on God. You gladly took everything from him and you did not want him at all. And now you ask, why would God let this happen? No, no, no. You chose it. You said, give me the portion of goods that belongeth to me. You said, give me liberty. You said, give me choice. And now that you've been given liberty, and now that you've been given your own way, now that you've been given your portion and your choice and squandered it, you've brought yourself to where you are. He didn't send you into the far country. Did the Father send the young man into the far country? No. It is our own will that takes us into the far country. It is the brokenness of man that drives us away from the Father. We go there ourselves, and therefore have no right to blame God. It's interesting, isn't it? I always wondered, why is it that we want to put such distance between us and God? God's done nothing but show us kindness. God has done nothing but show us kindness. He's given us life. Every good gift and every perfect gift cometh from above, everything good in your life has come from the good hand of God. Why would you ever want to get away from God? Interesting, isn't it? I don't understand why it is, why we turn our back on God instead of coming to God. I want to encourage you with one thought in closing. Although this young man left nothing behind to which he was entitled to, when he did at last come back, he found that there was something in his father's house reserved for him. Although he turned his back on the father, And can I speak to you tonight, those of you who have turned your back on God and ran into the world, trying to distance yourself from the goodness of God, trying to distance yourself from your accountability to God, can I just kindly remind you tonight that there is still something for you in the Father's house? It's grace. Grace. And although you've turned your back and you deserve nothing but judgment, and you deserve nothing but hell, And the punishment for which you have earned, although you've turned your back on him, still there's something in the father's house for you tonight. It's grace. It's amazing to me. It's it's probably why it's my favorite parable, but it's amazing to me that when the young man finally does come home, he is greeted with such lavish gifts from his father. Now, in our mind, the opposite should take place. In our mind, if if somebody uh, rejects us and turns away from us and takes from us and then spits proverbially in our face whilst doing it, then we say, don't you dare think of coming back. And if you do come back, boy, you're going to grovel for a long time. But the Father welcomed the Son with open arms, grace, grace. The father welcomed the son home with not just that, but the scriptures said, bring forth the best robe and put it on him. He didn't deserve the best robe. He didn't deserve any robe at all. He deserved to sit in the filthy rags that he was living in. Put a ring on his hand. He didn't deserve a ring, a symbol of authority. He deserved to be a servant and put shoes on his feet. He didn't deserve any comfort. For his feet, he deserved to walk around and bare feet for the rest of his life to remind himself of how terrible he was by turning his back on his father. Bring hither the fatted calf and kill it. Let us eat and be merry. A party. Party. He deserves shame. Hang your head in shame. Come back here like that. Hang your head in. No, he gave him a feast. And that's what's waiting for all those who will turn from their sin and come to the Father, acknowledging their sin, acknowledging what they've done. What an amazing thought that we can come near. What an amazing thought that out of the fullness of the Father, we can be enriched again. We might think to ourselves, well, if the young man took his inheritance, then there wouldn't be anything left for him. But you have misunderstood one thing, and that's you have imagined God's riches to be limited. God has no limit to his riches. And though we squander what good things he has given us, he has more than enough. If we'd only come home. If we'd only return home if we'd only stay near to him. Think about that little thought again of John the beloved, as we say, who rested his head upon Jesus' breast. How near he was, how near you and I can be, and how that will keep us from ever wandering astray. And I just say in closing tonight that if any of us in this room tonight die and go to hell, It will be your fault, not God's. If anyone here dies and goes to hell, it will not be because God sent you into the far country. It'll be because you ran. It will be because you took from God, turned your back on God, and headed into the far country and you refused to come back. Tonight, do you hear his voice? saying, come home. Do you hear him? Come home. Is more than enough for you? Is more than enough? Do you hear his words that say, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest? Do you hear him saying, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved? Then come. Come. I wouldn't spend another day in the far country if I were you. I wouldn't spend another day away from the Father. I'd hate to die in the far country. Tonight, while there is still time, would you come and receive from His hand grace, be accepted back into the Father's house, not because of what you are owed and what is rightfully yours, but because of grace. Because of how good the Father is. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we give thanks this evening that there is grace. Though we have gladly taken from thy hand. Turned our back on thee. Though we have gladly received benefits. From thy hand, but yet refuse to acknowledge thee. Oh, Lord, please help us. Help us tonight to see where we're headed. Help us to see what darkness and depravity lies within our hearts. And I pray that tonight may be a night when we hear the voice of the Father bidding us to come home. Give us faith to believe, Lord, that there is grace for us. In the Father's house. Give us eyes to see. That there is more than enough. More than enough space. In the Father's house. More than enough grace and love. Although we've squandered. All that you've given us already. Help us to see Lord. That there's more than enough. May we come running home tonight. May we be like John. And place our head upon. Our Savior's breast. That we might know that where we hear thy heartbeat, there will be no chance of us drifting away. Keep us near to thee, Lord, I pray. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.